are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. All right, then we can open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 21. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all those who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today I just want to talk a little bit about liberty, about liberty. We can, you can all can be seated. I don't know, most of you might know or most of you might not, I don't know that I have a history degree And so I've been teaching history this year at TCA, and so I have to give credit to the seventh grade American history book for this illustration. Thank goodness for uh, good illustrations. So we live in a nation that loves and values liberty and freedom. Our earliest European ancestors, the Puritans, came to Jamestown in 1607 searching for freedom to serve God the way they believed he should be served. Soon after, they were followed by the pilgrims in 1620. They were searching for the same thing, the freedom, the liberty to serve God, how they felt like he should be served. For 150 years, people made their way to this new land, seeking the freedom and liberty that was available that they could not find in their homelands. But eventually, the British began to worry about that the American colonies had gained too much freedom. They began to take away some of those liberties in order to maintain the control and the power that they had over the colonies. As the liberties of the colonies began to be taken away, men decided that were trying to decide what they should do in order to keep these liberties. There were many people debating on whether or not the colonies should seek independence from Britain or if uh, in order to maintain their liberty, or if they should just try to reconcile with this great empire of the day. During this time, there was a meeting. It was March 23rd, 1775. 120 delegates from across Virginia had gathered to meet at St. John's Church in Richmond to discuss what action Virginia to take in pressing the controversy with Britain. There were many distinguished figures there that day, a man uh, named George Washington, who had rose to fame during the American, excuse me, French-Indian War, was in attendance. A young man named Thomas Jefferson, who in just a few months would begin writing the Declaration of Independence, was in attendance. However, these men were not the center of attention on this day. In the third pew of a church, a tall gentleman stood 
With a commanding voice and bold gestures, he addressed the convention. They tell us, sir, that we are weak, unable to cope with so formidable an adversary. Three millions of people armed the holy cause of liberty, and in such a country as that which we possess are invincible by any force which our enemy can send against us. You see, he viewed the events of recent months with great alarm and wished to motivate the conference to action. He said this, There is no retreat but in submission and slavery. The war is inevitable, and let it come. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war is actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What would they have? Is life so dear or peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, almighty God. I know not what course others must take. But as for me, give me liberty or give me death. These famous words from Patrick Henry have reigned throughout history. It's reflected in the lives that we live today. The values of our nation are founded in liberty, and we continue to pursue liberty to this day. We live in a, li- in a world today and in a country today with more liberties than, than have ever been available in any time before. In our nation, our culture is obsessed with liberty. Today, there's a battle going on. There are groups of people who feel like their liberties are being infringed on. And they, there is just a battle and there is um, fear between the two groups that the other group is just trying to take away those liberties. People have put their trust in legislations, in government, and in human ways in order to keep the liberty that we hold so dear. But none of these things can give us true freedom. In fact, many people today are really fighting for their own bondage under the name of freedom. Many people today are seeking liberty to sin. But the Bible tells us that death to sin is true liberty. Biblical liberty is liberty from sin. And it's not just the world that is seeking a liberty to sin today. Many Christians are seeking to sin as well. This is not a new trend, but it is something that has been happening for 2,000 years, really since the beginning of the church. In fact, it was so prevalent during the early church that Paul wrote a letter and addressed it a number of times to believers. One of those times is in Romans 6. Romans 6 speaks to us about being dead to sin and alive in God. And Paul talks to us about those who say that we should continue in sin that grace may abound. And really here, Paul is talking about cheap grace. It's the kind of grace that says you can just continue in your sin because it doesn't matter what you do, grace will cover it. 
Or there's others who say, well, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So if I sin, the more I sin, the more grace I have. And these are issues that have, have plagued the church throughout history. They're not new things. In fact, a man named uh, Rasputin, Grigory Rasputin in Russia, he believed that in order to be saved, you had to sin. Because if you sinned, you received that grace, and that's where that salvation came from, that grace through your sin. So he would just give in to his, his pleasure and give in to his desires and, or, because he said, that's the only way I can be saved. People today are still seeking grace to cover their sins, but not wanting to separate themselves from their sins. Paul does not agree that with this cheap grace. He explains to us that living in this cheap grace causes us to not live the life of sanctification that God has envisioned for us through our justification. You see, sanctification that we live in after our new birth is a liberty. Sanctification is the opportunity to live a holy lifestyle. And holiness, the holiness lifestyle that we live, it is liberty. If we look at the definitions of justification and sanctification for just a moment, justification says the act of God whereby humankind is made or accounted just or free from guilt or penalty of sin. That's grace. He's justified us. He's separated us from that sin. But if our justification stops there and doesn't lead us to sanctification, then we've missed the point. Sanctification, the, the definition is to make holy, to set apart as sacred or consecrate. Another definition says to purify or free from sin. You see, justification, sanctification doesn't save us. We can't be righteous enough to be saved. But justification leads us to sanctification, which is freedom from sin. It's that true liberty. We must make the choice to live in sanctification and holiness that is offered to us. The Puritans used to say this. God does not take away our ability to sin. He gives us the power not to sin. When we receive this power and this liberty, it is up to us to use it and to live it. Rather than getting rid of our ability to sin, as the Puritans said, Christ has given us the off switch to sin. He has given us the ability to say no to sin with the instruction to do so, but, all, but it is up to us to fulfill that direction. We still have the ability to sin, and we all know that in this place. All of us, since we've been born again, have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we'll continue to sin probably until the day he returns or the day we die. It's, it's a struggle. It's our flesh. It's what we, if, if, we're, if we really give in to our basis desires, it's what we will do is sin. Paul tells us that we, have not, uh, that we not only have the liberty from past sin, but we also have a means to no longer sin through the Spirit of Christ living in us. But when we exercise our liberty and make the decision not to sin, it leaves behind a void where the sin used to be. 
We must replace that sin with something that is going to further the work of God, both in our lives and in his kingdom. We cannot simply receive liberty from sin. We must replace it with something. But what do we replace it with? We must trade being a slave to sin to being a slave of righteousness. Romans 6 talks to us about that. 6.19 says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanliness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. He was saying, you used to just give in to your flesh. And it would lead to more sin, and it would lead to more sin. But now you need to do that with righteousness. Give in to the spirit of Christ saying you need to make the right decision. You need to live out the holy life. And replace that, that slavery to sin with a slavery or a servitude to righteousness. You see, liberty is defined, we're going to define a lot of words today, as freedom from external force or foreign rule and independence. Another definition says freedom from control, interference, obligation, restriction, hampering, conditions, etc., according to choice. It's a freedom of your choice. Sin does not give you a freedom of choice. It only takes, right? Even though we feel like we are making our own decisions when we, at first, it very quickly becomes clear that we are not in control of when we choose to sin. Before we know it, we are no longer in control of our thoughts, our words, our actions, or our decisions. Being a slave to righteousness is not the same as being a slave to sin. The difference is that even though God knows the best for us, he's not going to force it on us. He will almost only direct us to the right choice. With sin, it eventually becomes the case that there is no choice in the matter, but God will always give us a choice. We can look at all the addicts in the world to prove our point. Look at all the addictions in the world. We have addictions to uh, alcohol and drugs and sexual addictions and addictions to technology now. And there's all of these addictions where people don't have free will. They don't have a choice in the matter because if they did, they wouldn't give in to these, these impulses. It's compulsive. And that's where sin always leads to is to compulsion. Where God guides us or directs us, sin dictates or commands us. One commentator put it this way. When you become a slave to righteousness, your business now is to do what God desires, not what sin dictates. We're going to be a slave to something. The question is, what will, be, will we choose to be a slave of righteousness, which will lead to true liberty, or will we choose to be a slave of sin, which is going to lead only to condemnation and to true slavery, chains, bondage? Galatians 5.1 tells us to stand fast, therefore, and the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled against the, again with the yoke of bondage. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, yeah, this all sounds good, I, but I've repented. I've given my sin to God. 
I don't still struggle with recurring sin. I don't still struggle with uh, just giving into my flesh. But I don't feel liberty in my life. Bondage, sin is not the only form of bondage. Bondage doesn't only come from sin. Sometimes we can be bound by other things. Things like anxiety, fear, stress, doubt. That's why I believe the writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which is so easily ensnares us. And let's, uh, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising all shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The, the word of God doesn't tell us just to set aside our sin. It says to set aside every weight, every weight. Things like anxiety and fear and doubt and stress, those are weights in our life. And we can be bound by them. We can, we can live a life without liberty, even without sin in our life. If you are here today and you're struggling with having liberty in your life, whether it's the freedom of sin or from sin or whether it's freedom from anxiety or fear or stress or doubt, you're in the right place. Maybe you've prayed for liberty, for freedom from, from something for weeks or months or even years. Maybe you struggle with anxiety and being anxious in social situations. Maybe there's a sin that you just can't break the habit of. Maybe you are stressed out every day at work or with your family. And while there may be some things that we might not receive liberty from in this life, Paul talks about having a thorn in his flesh, right? There are some things that we're not going to be free from. He doesn't receive liberty from this thorn. But there, because there are certain times that God allows things in our life for his purposes. But we, and we'll probably never understand why we don't receive freedom from these things. But I do not believe that to be norm. And I don't believe that God has given us a spirit of fear. Fear, I think, includes all these things, anxiety and stress and doubt and all these things. Those are all based in fear. When we struggle with something, whether it be sin or any of these other things, God wants to, to give us, wants to give us liberty from these things. And if you are looking for liberty today, whether it be from these things, sin, anxiety, fear, doubt, uncertainty, no matter what it may be, then liberty is found in the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.17 tells us this. Now, the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. If you're looking for liberty, it's found in the spirit of the Lord. It's always found in the spirit of the Lord. But how do we, we know we can receive the spirit of the Lord through, you know, the Acts 2.38 message, but sometimes even when we're spirit-filled, we don't feel that spirit. How do we, how do we entertain God's spirit? How do we invite him to be with us? Psalm 22 and 
3 tells us, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabits the praises of Israel. God inhabits our praises. He is entertained. He dwells in our praises. So we can know that if we are looking for liberty, the answer is in your praise to him. What does your praise look like? It looks like thanks. Maybe you are facing fear and anxiety or stress or even some sort of sin today. Maybe you've been anxious for the past You can't even remember the last time you didn't feel anxiety or fear of some sort. I would encourage you to find something to be thankful to God for, to praise him for that thing. Because when you begin to thank God, you begin to elevate him to the correct place in your life. You recognize your need for him. You begin to give him the credit for what what has been done in your life. And when you recognize that position that God is in, the position of power, and majesty, and the ability that he has through your thanks, then you begin to have trust in him once again. And that is when you can lay your weights aside, trusting in him to provide for you once again. If everybody could stand with me today. I don't know really anybody's situation here, but I can be certain that there are people here who are struggling with not feeling liberty in their life. And I wonder if we could just take a few moments today and just thank God and praise God for who he is and for what he's done for us and start to put him back into the right place. And I believe that if we can do that, there is liberty here today for you. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.